Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. I better get to my opening text here. If you have your Bibles, or for my generation, your Bible apps, I'm not judging you. Proverbs 25, verse 1. We're going back 3,000 years, back to the time of King Solomon. The word records, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Please allow me to reread that verse. These are also, say also, Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. For a few minutes, I'm going to preach to you on this title, The Incomplete Book. The Incomplete Book. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you for moving and living inside of us. Speak to us. Let us be willing vessels set apart and appointed, anointed for your holy use and purpose. And Lord God, you get the credit. Let me simply be the vessel you have chosen for this evening. Not I that speak, but you, Lord Jesus. Speak to all of us, including myself. And we all say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It began with a prayer. King Solomon prayed to God for wisdom. He did not pray for wealth. He did not pray for battle victories. He didn't even pray for a whole ton of wives. We'll get to that later, bless God. He prayed simply for wisdom. He desired for God to lead the people of Israel. And mark this down, dear friends. When you accept that God should be the leader of your life, God can bless your life. When you ask God to take the control and that steering helm of the vessel of your future destiny, then God will do more than man ever could. God can give you abundance. God can give you increase. God can give you a better option than what you even thought was possible. What do the scriptures say? He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can do more than I thought about. More than I could think was possible. More than I ever expected could ever come to pass. That is the God that we serve this evening. Praise God. God can do that in you. And God did that for King Solomon. And God gave King Solomon wisdom. And as all wise men do, Solomon built the house of God. Solomon built in the house of God. If you are a wise man like King Solomon, you will also use your efforts and your knowledge and your abilities to likewise build the house of God and build inside of this house of God. Bless God. All wise men and all wise lady are builders of the work of the Lord. And when that house was built... Read 2 Chronicles 6 and 1. If you have one of those Bibles that has chapter headings, 
you're going to read the following chapter heading on 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 1. Most paper Bibles have this heading on that sixth chapter. They call it the Sermon of Solomon. Can any of you see that in your Bibles? This chapter is called the Sermon of Solomon. Did you know that Solomon was a preacher? Solomon, given wisdom by God, was given that wisdom and ability to preach the word of God. Solomon preached the dedication message of the temple of the Lord. Now, most commonly, we call that Solomon's temple. But in actuality, it was not Solomon's temple. It was God's temple. Solomon ordered, constructed. It was the temple of God here in that sixth chapter of Second Chronicles. And Solomon preached the dedication of that temple. And after he was done, after he was finished, in that following seventh chapter, God came to King Solomon by night. Apologies, I should also read that 12th and 13th verse as well. In the seventh chapter of Second Chronicles, God appears by night. He finds Solomon and he tells him, I've heard your prayer and I, God, have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice means I give something up out of my life to be what God wants me to be. That, in a nutshell, is the principle of sacrifice. It means I give up this and give it to God so that God can do more and give me even more than what I am relinquishing, more than I am giving to Him. And God tells him in verse 13, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, in other words, the titles aren't good enough. You must have the name of God on your life. You must be called by his name. And what is that name, dear church? Jesus, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, right? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And in King James English, turn was repent. It means you were walking this way and you turn 180 degrees and now walk in the total opposite direction, all right? Turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That was the promise of God upon the house of God that Solomon built for the Lord. God gave Solomon that promise. Now back to this idea. Solomon preached the dedication of the house of the Lord. What kind of preacher was King Solomon? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1. Now, I must warn you, this, the sermons, the words that Solomon would speak, they were strong. Solomon was a tough speaker, at times a hard preacher. And I'm warning you, some old school Pentecostal preaching is about to happen here in this house. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right, here we go. Solomon preached, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It may not be currently trendy, but I still believe that alcohol is dangerous. It is still Pentecostal doctrine to preach against consumption. 
consuming alcohol. It's dangerous. It's a trap. It is temptation. It'll pull you into places and lifestyles that you don't want to partake in and places you don't want to go to. I want myself to be safe. I want to be pure and holy and set apart for God. Wine was wrong in the Old Testament and consumption of alcohol is still not right in the New Testament as well. And just in case Solomon was muddy here, chapter 23 now, and verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Every drunkard I've ever known in my life, bless God. Who has redness of the eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. He says in verse 31, don't even look at it. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives his color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. Describing the Old Testament process of fermentation, increasing the alcohol content in wine. I could go on, but I think you got it. (laughs) Do you got it? Say, I got it. it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Solomon was a hard preacher. I had to say all that to get here. If you have your Bibles, now Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse number 3. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. What? What in the world? He just said... Wine is a mocker, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Solomon said that in Proverbs chapter 20. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon says, I gave myself to it. He said, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has fightings, contentions, they that tarry at wine, that are spending time with alcohol. And now he's saying the same man who spoke all those warnings against drinking alcohol, now he admits that he became a binge alcoholic. What was going on? What happened to him? is what happens to many individuals. He listened to the wrong crowd, and Solomon became a drunkard. You know, long before Belshazzar ever put wine into the holy vessels of God, God made it clear He did not desire for any of us to put wine into these holy vessels of God, a temple of the Lord, a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. And yet Solomon did that right here. Why? 1 Kings 11, verses 3 and 4. Solomon was a good man. Solomon was a wise man. But after a period of time, Solomon ran with the wrong crowd. He had 700 wives, princesses, daughters of foreign kings. Not Disney princesses, not Cinderella, not Jasmine, not all those. I know where your minds were going right there, okay? I could discern this thing as a pastor, bless God, as a minister, bless God. Hallelujah. Daughters of kings, daughters of Pharaoh, daughters of foreign rulers, women who were not saved, women who were not one God believers. 300 concubines either. We don't believe in that. Don't be walking away with Old Testament ideas on this first night of revival. I don't want to start the revival on that foot, bless God. 
All right. His wives at that time turned away his heart. This verse really gets me because I'm a single man. And every single Pentecostal is tempted. I've heard it. Joel, you can win them to God. Well, how'd that work for Solomon? Didn't work out so much, did it? I must guard my heart, shouldn't I? For out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. It matters who I open myself to. Jesus said in the New Testament, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who are you opening the door of your heart to this evening? To the whims and ways of this world or to J-E-S-U-S? I must open myself to Jesus. I must listen to his words and to his counsels. I don't want to fall astray with modern push and tug and peer pressure. I'm not finding truth somewhere out there in our country. I'm finding truth in one book and in one book alone. This book, the holy book, the Bible book. Praise God. It matters who I listen to. Psalm 1 and 1. The book of Psalms is the book of worship. And how does God begin the book of Psalms? How does God begin the book of worship? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That is the strangest way to begin a book of 150 worship songs. Why does God begin the book of worship with that opening statement? Well, here's why. If you are going to be a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth, God makes it crystal clear here that there will be some voices that will not make the cut for you. Wherever they're going, here's where you're going to go. You're going to go to that place of blessing into the presence of the Lord and the deeper I get in God I can't walk with ungodly counsel Solomon it matters who speaks into you it matters whose words I hear and what counsel I heed praise God Solomon was pulled astray by ungodly counsel of people he never should have led into his heart and the man who preached the dedication of the temple, the man who ordered and ordained its construction and paid for every square inch of timber and stone and gold. That man then spent years, decades, we believe, not even going to the very temple that he ordered constructed. And the house of God never saw the man who built it for years. But the story does not end that way. I can't leave you there. If you have the word in your hands, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Here's the final two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, the end of it all. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And that word fear in Hebrew means reverence or revere God. King James meaning there. For God shall bring every work into judgment. With every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. The end of all of it is the following in Ecclesiastes verse 13 there. Was to fear God, revere God. Those are not the words of a backslider. Those are not the words of a sinner. 
even though he messed up, even though he made mistakes, the closing two verses of Ecclesiastes reveal a secret about the life of King Solomon. He tried it all, and at the end of everything else, at the end of all of the wrong roads and negative alternatives, Solomon found his way back home, and here is what he found. He wanted to serve God and keep his commandments. Solomon made it back. Solomon wandered. Solomon went astray for years. But that man in the distant memories of his youthful mind, he remembered something that God had promised him. That if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been if you can turn away from all that and repent then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land Solomon never forgot the promise of God God is in the redemption business God believes in remission of sins I believe in remission of sins and you can have every black mark every guilty stain removed from your life God can wash it away in the name of Jesus. I believe in repentance. I believe in newness of life. I believe that God still saves souls. I believe that God still cleanses our past. And that is apostolic. That is biblical. And that is true. Praise God. Hallelujah. In preaching to you about Solomon... I want to come down here with you and tell you the following part. I know that Solomon made it back, but let's talk about what it looked like the first day. It had been maybe 10 years, 20 years. We don't know. But one day, the people of the city saw their king, King Solomon, leave his palace and begin walking toward the temple. You know that every eye was on the man that day. I know what it feels like when you messed up and you're worried about what will they think about me. I don't care anymore what they think about me. I only care what God thinks about me. It had to be tough. He was bringing that offering, that bull, that ram, that goat. But they all watched him walk from the palace and his wealth and pearls and gold all the way to the door of the tabernacle, the temple of God. He went to the altar of God. He was the king. But everybody, small and great, we must go to the house of God. We must go to the altar of God. We must pray. We must submit to the Lord hallelujah and the king of the country and the man who was the head politically of that nation that state that day found his way back he got back right with God and now I come to the book of Ecclesiastes that King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes is one of the most confusing books in all of scripture Ecclesiastes was almost left out of the Hebrew Bible canon. Many theologians to this day wonder why did God include that book. So if you have a few minutes here, let me tell you why the book of Ecclesiastes 
is in the Bible. It is a book of repentance. It is a book of confessions. The man who ends the book closes it with these words, revere God, fear God, and keep his commandments. He spends 12 chapters confessing that no other way will work. I tried alcohol, wine, women, every single idol I could think about, and none of it added up. None of it filled me up. All of it was just vanity. It didn't help me. All it did was vex my spirit, vexation of spirit. It vexed my soul. There was nothing new under the sun. Everything I did, others had done before me. I didn't invent any new sins. I only tried the old-fashioned ones. He is confessing to you. He is admitting painful truths. It was difficult for the wise man to admit that he did something stupid. And yet he did. He confessed it. He admitted it. Why? Because when you make it back to God, ego has died. It's not about me anymore. I want you to make it. And whatever you might think about me, I want you to think highly of him and know he's the only way. <laughs> Hallelujah. The opening sentence of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1, is what? The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Don't skip over this. The words of who? The preacher. Do you remember how I began this sermon? Solomon preached the dedication message of the temple of God, recall? And the first statement he makes is, Now I have gone back to preaching. I have gone back to my calling of God. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. I may have wandered. I may have strayed. But God brought me back. And now I'm not a drunkard anymore. Now I'm not a skirt chaser. I'm not an idol worshiper. Who am I now? I am a preacher once again. God has returned me. I returned to God. And he returned to me. You'll be amazed at how many people God never crossed out. This always bugged me about Jonah. Jonah... I have preached this wrong in my youth. I used to preach and believe that if you don't follow God, that God can replace you. And that's wrong. And here's why it's wrong. God did not replace Jonah. God redeemed Jonah. God healed Jonah. God repaired Jonah. And God returned Jonah to his original destination that he was always supposed to go to. The plan of God never changed. Just had to get Jonah on board that plan, right? The plan of God will not change for you. God simply has to get all of us on board in the placement of God. The plan of God was always the same for King Solomon. He was to preach the word. And God brought him back after years and wandering. God returned to King Solomon. He doesn't even use his own name. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 1, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Why doesn't he say the words of Solomon? Here's why. It's no longer about me, me, me anymore. I have humbled myself. The first step of Second Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall 
humble themselves. The first step of repentance is humility. He is telling you, I've done it. I'm not even putting my own big kingly name and signature on that. It's about God and only about God from here on out. And now my opening text. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1. A curious statement. These are also, say also, also also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. It's a strange statement to make. If they're also Proverbs, that means those last seven chapters of Proverbs, chapter 25 through 31, the closing seven chapters of Proverbs weren't with, weren't included with the original 25 or 24 chapters until the time of Hezekiah, if I have this right. Until King Hezekiah, it was only 24 chapters in length. Until his time, the seven extra chapters were not there. Why were these Proverbs of Solomon excised from Holy Writ? Why were they not included? Our best theological hermeneutical theory is that these seven final chapters were written later, after Solomon had sinned and made it back. He did make it back. But anybody in here who is a backslider, who has come back to the Lord, you know that when you come back, you have all the naysayers, all the doubters. Well, he used to come here years ago. He's going to go right back where he came from in a few services. You just wait, dear brother. Bless God. <laughs> all those guys are speaking Texan, I guess. So I don't know why I did that. Bless God. I love Texas. Hallelujah. We got weird here for a minute. All right. So when you've been a backslider, you know somebody may doubt or question your routing God. They may wonder, could they be used again? Perhaps they can be saved, but they're going to have to sit down for a season. They're going to have to, you know, maybe they don't preach anymore. Maybe they just become a saint, you know, from this point on. But God doesn't work like that. When God put that gift into you, the gift never dies. Solomon's gift never died, and even though men doubted the gift, still it worked in him. Still, the gift and the calling of God was there. But people didn't trust what he said. And so for centuries, these final seven chapters of Proverbs remained on the shelf, outside of Holy Writ. Until the days of King Hezekiah, I did not give you this verse, 2 Kings 19 and verse 35. King Hezekiah saw some miracles of God. King Hezekiah witnessed God rescue him and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In a great battle, 185,000 Assyrians, 2 Kings 19 and 35, surrounded the city of Jerusalem. The Assyrian army blockaded the city of God. There was no way out. But God spake by the mouth of Isaiah the prophet in this same chapter that God would deliver them and fight for them. And so one night when they had this impossible enemy, it came to pass during the night while people were asleep, God went to war for them. The angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians. A hundred, fourscore, and five thousand, a hundred, eighty-five thousand right there. And when they all arose in the morning, 
the impossibility became possible. Their enemy was gone by the power of God and his holy angels. That's the Lord you serve right there. They didn't even have to fight one battle. God fought on their behalf. God helped them. God worked for them. King Hezekiah was the king when all that happened. And when you've seen God work a miracle, when you've seen God do something unexplainable, something miraculous, something amazing, you just don't care about other people's opinions anymore. You're done with them, aren't you? Because you know that God is real and God is for you and God is your shield and exceeding great reward. The Lord is mine helper and the strength of my song. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he cast into the sea. God is my strength. God is my defense and my provider and my protector. Praise God. God stepped in. God worked on their behalf. And now he was done with what anybody else thought. Now he knew that God redeemed him. He knew that God saved him. And I bet he thought to himself, you know, if God saved me, I bet that God saved Solomon too. If God worked an impossible miracle for me, I bet that God did work that impossible miracle with God. And in my own opinion, Hezekiah, the man who witnessed the works of God, when he had all that happen to him, he became the man who believed in redemption and the salvation of the Lord very deeply. And he ordered his men to copy out the final seven chapters. And now the book is complete because of those last few portions because one man saw God's redemption he also believed in God's redemption in other people when you have been a recipient of God's miracles and redemption you'll become a conduit also giving mercy and redemption and healing to other people will you I want you to become a mercy conduit to other people around you as God has given you mercy also transfer that mercy to other people to men and women of God, ladies, gentlemen, sons, daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, and cousins. You can be that recipient and that giver of mercy. You can be the one who believes that God can bring them back. God can save my lost loved ones. God can redeem my broken marriage. God can rescue my children. The father never stopped believing that that son would come back. And when the prodigal son returned, he was there waiting for him and he ran out and kissed him the father waits for the return of his children so now I come to the title here the incomplete book the incomplete book of Proverbs I call this message thus because I feel like your book is similarly incomplete without the final season of God in you there is the book of your life God is the author and the finisher of our faith. The author. God is writing a book right now. 
and you are his masterwork. You are the main character in a volume penned by Jesus himself. And he is the author. That means he and he alone has the copyright of your story. Not the devil, not demons, not your critics, not anybody else. Only God. And your book is not finished without those closing pages that include the best parts, your redemption, your return, your coming back into the will of God. We'd be oh so lacking without those final seven passages. So what happens in those last seven chapters? The first thing you'll notice is that Solomon repeats himself. Solomon actually duplicates Proverbs from the first 24 chapters intentionally, intentional repetition. Solomon intentionally repeats himself in those last seven chapters. Why? Because he is confirming and reaffirming the truth that God already gave him in his youth. It was true in the first 24 chapters, and I'll say it again a second time. All preachers repeat ourselves, sometimes intentionally, bless God. Solomon put things from the first 24 chapters so you would know God never changed his mind. God never altered his word. The truth I learned as a youth still works, still applies, and is still real. All right. The second thing you'll notice, my favorite part, my favorite part are the final two chapters. The 30th chapter in verse 1. These final two chapters in Proverbs are special. I believe they are the hardest, some of the hardest chapters to have been penned by holy writers. Solomon opens up by saying the following, The words of Agur, the son of Yaqeh, even the prophecy, that chapter as well as chapter 31 are prophecies, two prophetic chapters in the book of Proverbs. Don't skip over that word prophecy, okay? The words of Agur, the son of Yaqeh. Well, who is Agur? Well, who wrote Proverbs? Solomon did, right? I promise you I am not trying to trick you here in Norwalk, California, all right? Solomon called himself the preacher in Ecclesiastes, and he calls himself Agur here in chapter 30. Pen names. Many authors still use pen names for their novels and books, all right? So Solomon used the name Agur, a pen name here in the 30th chapter. What does Agur mean in Hebrew? I looked this up. Agur in Hebrew means Gathered. Gathered. He calls himself the man who was gathered. He's telling you, he's confessing to you that I was shattered. I was in pieces. My life was a ruined mess until Jehovah God came and gathered me. Do you still recall the day that God gathered you? That time in the altar in youth convention or camp meeting or good old-fashioned revival service, a Sunday or a midweek where God filled you up to the brim with the Holy Ghost, where you felt renewed and clean and free. Do you remember the day when God put you and took you and gave you life and joy and peace and salvation? God gathered you. God gathered me. And God God gathered King Solomon. The words of Agur, the son of Yaqeh. Well, who was Solomon's father? 
King David, right? Okay. So what does the name Yaqeh mean in Hebrew? I looked that up too. The name Yaqeh in Hebrew means blameless. Scratching my head, I'm thinking to myself here, do you think Solomon might have had some daddy issues? Do you think he might have blamed David for everything he's done? Oh, as a minister, I have seen that. I have seen people blame their father for everything under the sun. Solomon, I bet he blamed King David. David killed people. David was a bloody man. God said that, I believe, in the Word. David killed Uriah the Hittite, the first husband of his mother, Bathsheba. He killed Uriah. He killed people in battle. And David told Solomon on his deathbed in the first and second chapter of 1 Kings, David told Solomon to kill Joab. And Joab was Solomon's first cousin. Joab was the son of Zeruiah, David's sister. He told Solomon, kill your first cousin Joab after I'm gone. He told him to kill Shimei also. He told him to kill two people. He ordered his son to begin his kingly reign as a murderer. And David was not necessarily out of the lady issue either. David also had seven wives. Count them, seven. And Solomon thought to himself, if dad had seven, I can have 700, right? No, that won't work, bless God. I bet he blamed David for all of that, all of his decisions. He blamed David. But life is funny. After years, when you're older, you don't look at those things like you once did when you were younger, you know? And so in his old age, King Solomon became a different man. He looked at that differently than in his youth. And now after years of life and wandering, now he says, my father David is blameless. Now my father is blameless. Now, Dad, I don't blame you anymore. It's my fault. I did it. I married 700 pagans, 300 concubines. I worshipped idols for a season. I became a binge alcoholic, a drunkard. I wandered astray. That's not your fault. It is my fault. And there is a power in confession when you accept your own faults. When it's not somebody else's fault, that means I can change. If someone else is to blame, then you're in a pickle and a bind. But if it's you, if it's your fault and your mistakes, then I can repent and I can change and I can shift course onto the route of heaven. I can get out of that old path into a brand new life. And what does Solomon say in this chapter? God takes him to Holy Ghost University. God tells him, you thought you had all wisdom, but you don't even understand the locusts or the ants or the spiders or the conies, all creatures that live in the ground beneath your feet. God was telling him in this 30th chapter, the very dirt you walk on has more order of creation than you and all your great wisdom was even aware of. And if God has those kind of wonders in the dirt beneath you then just think of the wonders God can do in you when you give him authority of yourself and now my all time favorite chapter 31st chapter verse 1 the words of King Lemuel the prophecy say prophecy 
This chapter is also prophetic, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Who's Lemuel? Who wrote this 31st chapter? Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon did. I promise you, I am not trying to trick you, okay? Solomon was Lemuel. In Hebrew, Lemuel means devoted to God or belonging to God. He is telling you, I don't belong to idols, to false marriages. I don't belong to alcohol. I belong now only to God. The prophecy that his mother taught him. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Did you know that Bathsheba gave a prophecy? The prophecy that his mother taught him. Bathsheba operated in the gift of prophecy. But God can't use somebody like that, can he? Oh, yes, he can. And if God could use Bathsheba, then God can use you. Repeat after me. If God could use Bathsheba, then God can use me too. I believe that with all of my heart this evening. Bathsheba, we get her wrong. She worked for God. She repented. She made it back. David repented, and so did his wife, Bathsheba, as well. Both of them made it back into God's will. You will read references to Queen Bathsheba where God had her speak to Nathan the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 1, and both her and the prophet of the Lord worked together to help the plan of God come to pass. All right, She was a good person at the end of her life. These were her words to her son. So what prophecy did God give her to her son? What my son, what the son of my womb, what the son of my vows. A three-fold relationship with Solomon. Her son, son of her womb, blood relationship, son of her vows, covenant relationship. All right, Verse 3. First thing she tells him, Give not thy strength unto women. Well... He broke that one, I think. 700 wives, 300 concubines. She didn't mince words either. It'll destroy you. It destroys kings. She was a hard preacher too, wasn't she? Verse 4. Her second thing. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. Well, he broke that one too, didn't he? Solomon became a binge alcoholic and a drunkard. This was the hardest chapter in the entire Bible to write, in my opinion, because Solomon violated every word. Solomon violated every word of this 31st chapter. This chapter's theme is a virtuous woman, and he married 700 pagans. Solomon did not marry a virtuous woman woman his mother prophesied to him here's what you should look for listen to mama on mother's day weekend okay (laughs) she knows bless god she knew she felt that in the holy ghost this chapter was hard because solomon broke every single word of this chapter and yet he gave it to you for this purpose even though he made mistakes and even though he was in error It was more important for you to receive correct doctrine than for him to keep his pride and his ego. When you really make it back, your ego is gone. Your pride has died. And now I just want my family, my children, my loved ones, and the next generation to live better, better, and more than I had. In Jesus' name. As you all stand. This sermon 
is a sermon about mercy and repentance. It is a sermon where I am telling you that Solomon returned. And Solomon, when he returned, he had a work for God. And to make this, to crystallize this for you, I now close with these verses. Ezekiel 18, 27 and 28. Again, when the wicked man turns away, and recall that word turns means repent in King James English. When the wicked man repents, turns away from his wickedness that he has committed, I have made mistakes too, but God forgave me. And does, when he doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. I know hell desires to whisper to you that you've gone too far. You've messed up too much. You've made too many mistakes. But the Word of God says the following. It says that if you turn, if you repent, no matter what you've done, when you start doing right, God will honor that and you will live and not die. Psalm 118, verse 17 says the following, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. You will not die but live when you turn away from the old life. All across this room on midweek service, I am asking you to leave the chairs and come and join me up front for one altar call. If you're comfortable, would you come and join us all at the altar at this time? The Lord has a work and the Lord has a path for you. I am Solomon. You are Solomon. And your book is incomplete. The book of your life. The book of your destiny. The book of your future years ahead is not finished without the final season. The season after. After you make it back. The season after your repentance and your redemption. I believe in repentance. Bathsheba, his own mother, on Mother's Day weekend, told him this was God's will. This was God's warning. And this night, I want to heed the trumpet call of whatever God is speaking to me. I don't want to miss it like Solomon did. Instead, I want to make it. I want to take these words and receive it in my heart. All around this room, lift your hands up to Jesus call on him right now in spirit and in truth whatever you have to offer whatever your sacrifice should be it's okay we are not judging you there's no eyes of judging Israelites upon you at this time only the Lord and his people and we love you and we're rooting for you I'm rooting for you to make it back I want you to be healed heaven rejoices the angels sing out loud at one soul who comes back in repentance in the name of Jesus what an incredible message thank you again for joining us on the podcast and may God bless you